With one of the great challenges in sharing the Lord with others, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The pattern of a life that enters into a relationship with God, it starts with having an acknowledgement of your own sin, which is by far the hardest thing for people. It's hard to admit that you're wrong. As you're sharing with people about their lives, inevitably the topic of sin will come up and you'll see it in their face, you'll see it in their body language. Sin is a very uncomfortable word and it's challenging at times to get someone to acknowledge that they've sinned. This is amazing grace. To admit that you were wrong, someone has said, is to declare that you are wiser now than you were before. Well, that's a freeing perspective. Still, it's a challenge to admit our mistakes. Well, today's Abounding Grace will help us meet that challenge, and we'll get that help as we continue our look at the tabernacle. Here now with today's teaching in Exodus chapter 26 is our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. They don't fully know that they're building the tabernacle, that it's all going to speak of coming Messiah but they are obedient to what they know. And that's what God holds us accountable. We are accountable for what we know. And as God leads us, we want to follow the details too. Pick up in verse one now. We've got the different veils. Now we're going to go to the bronze altar. It says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square. Its height shall be three cubits. You'll make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece. You'll overlay it with bronze. Verse 3, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, its shovels, its basins, its fork, its fire pans. All of it's going to be bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. Network, you shall make four bronze rings as the four corners. You shall put under it the rim of the altar beneath. The network may be midway up in the altar. You shall make poles for the altar of acacia wood. Overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings. The pole shall be on two sides of the altar. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown to you on the mountain. So shall they make it. Now you have the picture of what it might have looked like. And you can see it's just a big, a big box where the offering would be brought on an altar. The sacrifice would be offered. And then you've got the poles on the side and kind of what all the basins and everything would look like. And it's all made of bronze. So on the back now, flip it on the other side. Notice the large perspective of the area of the tabernacle as you approached from the east, as you came into the tabernacle from the east into the courtyard area, there was a fence seven and a half feet high. So there was a tall fence around it. It was about 150 feet deep, long, if you will, and then a 75 feet wide, 75 by 150. And the first article that you would come in through the gate there, you'll see, was the brazen altar. And it was seven and a half feet squared, four and a half feet tall, made of wood, but overlaid in bronze or brass. This is where the priests would sacrifice the lives of animals there with blood, because it wasn't just once a year. There were sacrifices going on all the time. And if you want to study that in depth, it's all in Leviticus. 
Leviticus is the book that gives the instructions of all the details of how to worship God in the Old Covenant, on the Mosaic Covenant, Leviticus. So one of them was the daily offerings. They had to bring daily sacrifices, and that's where it would take place, right here on the bronze altar, on the brass. Why bronze and brass and not gold? Because bronze and brass symbolize judgment. This is where judgment would take place daily on the altar of sacrifice. The judgment of trespass offerings, sin offerings, meal offerings, all the offerings would be offered here where God would meet them. Now, the sacrificial lamb that was given when a lamb was offered, the animals were innocent. Remember, the animals coming were innocent. The lamb never sinned, never made a mistake. Like the animals offered, the animals, I mean, animals in general are sinless, except for cats. They're full of sin. (laughs) But every other animal are sinless. Any cat lovers in the house? I am not sorry. (laughs) Animals were sinless. And they were given in substitute, in substitute, for the sinful. There's a technical phrase I want you to learn. You can jot it down. You might hear it as you're reading commentaries or you might be hearing Bible studies and I I want you to understand it because it's very important as it points to Jesus Christ. And that is the animal served as a vicarious atonement. Vicarious atonement, which is a fancy way of saying substitution. The animal substituted for the sacrifice of a human being because God didn't ask for human sacrifice. God wasn't asking us to, wasn't asking in the old covenant or the new covenant for human sacrifice. Matter of fact, by the time we get to Romans in the new covenant, what does God require of us? That we become living sacrifices, not dead, but living. That our lives are dedicated toward him in every area and that we would sacrifice self on the altar but we have the privilege of living. So the animals coming to the brazen altar over and over again, then once a year, the blood being spread in the Holy of Holies behind the veil was all in substitute for you and for me. And they were pointing to the permanent substitute because remember what John the Baptist said in John's gospel, jot it down, chapter one, verse 29. We learn that John looks at Jesus coming and what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that's one of the big issues with the Jewish believers that Hebrews was written to. Paul, when we get back to Hebrews 9 in our next study, he'll say that the old covenant was perfect and just and good, but it was limited in its abilities. It couldn't change a person. And as they lived in the Old Covenant, they had to keep bringing sacrifices over and over and over again. Every year, in many cases every day for the daily sins and their daily issues. But in the New Covenant, it's one sacrifice forever. Which is very important for the believer today because for the Christian follower, for the follower of Christ, your relationship with God is not dependent upon your performance. You don't have to earn anything from God. Truthfully, you and I, we could never earn anything from God. The gift of life is undeserved. We use a Bible word to describe that. We describe that as the grace of God, that he reaches out to us in grace. And 
We don't have to bring animals. Like, we don't have a bronze altar here. You don't need to bring animals. If you did, we'd send you right back out the door. It'd be weird. You bring a goat up here and it says, oh, it's my emotional support goat. Out. <laughs> We're not sacrificing it. Take the goat outside. I mean, it would be a mess because you don't need to bring. We would sit you down. Hopefully, one of the brothers would sit you down with the Bible and say, we don't do that anymore. Enjoy your goat at home. We don't need to bring it here because you have a walk with the Lord now. He has sacrificed for you once and for all. You don't bring offerings like that anymore. You offer yourself. And so as you walked in from the east, you'd be met with the judgment. As the priest would come into the tabernacle, as you would bring your offer, you would be met with judgment. That's all you could see. It would be right in front of you. It would be taller than you. Depending on how the angle you walked in, you wouldn't even be able to see the tent behind it. You'd be standing in front of the need for the judgment to come upon your sins and mine. And the animal will be offered, that innocent lamb taking the place of the judgment that God would put upon them. Now notice, and the court of the tabernacle, verse 9, you shall also make a court of the tabernacle. For the south there will be hangings of the court woven of fine linen, 100 cubits long for one side, 20 pillars, 20 sockets of bronze, hooks of pillars, bands shall be silver. Verse 11, the length of the north side, there'll be hangings, 100 cubits long, 20 pillars with their 20 sockets of bronze, the hooks, the pillars, which is 150 feet, as we mentioned already. And then along the width of the court, hangings of 50 cubits, the width of the court on the east side shall be 50, so it's 150 by 75. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, and their three pillars, and their three sockets. On the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits, their three pillars, their three sockets, gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen thread, made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars, four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50, and the height five cubits woven of fine linen thread and sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for its service, its pegs, all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. So the outer court, the outer court was filled with brass, silver, and wood. And it's interesting in the outer court because the brass, you know, you start with the judgment, but as you get closer to the Holy of Holies, it gets more, there's more gold involved. So you start on the outer with judgment, but as you get closer and in, in even into the Holy of Holies, you, ha- you see more gold. You see more beautiful tapestries. You see the inside with the angels, the cherubim. And then when you finally, like the high priest is the only one that could get into the Holy of Holies, then you get into solid gold. And isn't that like the pattern of a life that enters into a relationship with God? It starts with having an acknowledgement of your own judgment, your own sin which is by far the hardest thing for people. It's hard to admit that you're wrong. So you're sharing with people about their lives. Inevitably, the topic of sin will come up and you'll see it in their face. You'll see it in their body language. Sin is a very uncomfortable word. And it's challenging at times to get someone to acknowledge that they've sinned. You hear that word, you think it's just a Bible word, but it's a real devastating decision. Sin always destroys. 
But if someone doesn't want to talk about sin, I'm okay with that in the conversation. And it's okay, you're okay, it's okay for you to be okay with that. So we won't talk about sin to begin with. Let's just talk about mistakes. Oh, 99.9% .9 of the time, I can get someone to admit that they've made mistakes. As a matter of fact, if, if on a good day, they'll say, oh, I've made so many mistakes, and, and they'll just be going on and on and on. Really? So, so you're not perfect. No, I'm not. Nobody's perfect. I know. So, so you made a lot of mistakes, some real serious ones. Oh, I made some real serious ones. Well, here's the deal. What you call mistake, God calls sin. And that's a holy moment. That's a holy moment. Because things begin to register in their minds that, you know what? I'm not a perfect person. And I have made mistakes. And some of those mistakes have hurt people. Some of those mistakes have hurt me. Some of those mistakes have hurt you. And you begin to see how intertwined we are. This whole court of the tabernacle, you would start with the judgment. You'll never get into the Holy of Holies until you acknowledge the judgment that's necessary, the reality of sin, the need for a sacrifice. And as you got closer and closer, there'd be more. Of course, there were things overlaid in gold. There was wood, humanity, overlaid in gold. Speaking of the duality of, of the nature of Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God. But then when you got into the holy of holies, you have the box, wood, overlaid with gold, but the lid is solid gold. And gold, speaking of deity, that your greatest need, having dealt with judgment, having your sins judged, your greatest need was right there at the mercy seat. The structure for the children of Israel, you know, remember, this was a group of people that lived in slavery in Egypt. They had no formality of worship. They had no formality of, of how to express their worship to God. They just knew God and lived through the oral traditions, but they weren't able to gather together. They weren't allowed to gather together. They didn't have their own belongings. They didn't have their own place. So this is a monumental time for them where now God has given to them through the resources of Egypt, their own place, their place where they would gather when the children of Israel camped, as they were moving through the wilderness, when they stopped and camped, the tabernacle would be in the middle and the tribes would camp around the tabernacle. It would be the very center of their lives, this structure. It would be a very center of their lives, this structure. But the way that they were allotted in camping actually forms a cross. And you'll see that the tabernacle is going to be the central point. Just like God said, this is where I'll meet with you. This is where I'll speak to you. This is the central point. It wasn't the materials. Remember, because the materials were very common and they look common. But it was the symbolism. It was the reminder. Jesus was at the center of the tabernacle, symbolized by the mercy seat. Surrounded with humanity and judgment. Surrounded with visions of heaven and redemption. And it was even greater and grander when they got to the temple. For the people in the book of Hebrews, it just wasn't enough for them to live by faith. They wanted to go back to the formalities. They missed the pomp and circumstance of the temple. 
They felt pressure from their friends and family. They were wondering, are we doing it right? We want to go back to the rules and regulations because rules have a sense of keeping you comfortable. If Christianity really was just keeping 10 things, that's all we needed to do, you would live your life looking at that list every day. And then that list would also be an accuser to you, wouldn't it? Because you're not keeping 10 things every day. It's just going to be like, oh, I got eight this week. Great, but you only think of the two that you failed at. And then you're in competition. I did eight, you did seven. You're a horrible Christian, seven. I'm an eight. And then there's always the guy that comes in, well, I'm a 10. Yeah, but you're a liar, so now you're nine. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's be, it would be all weird. And a list wouldn't comfort you. It would trouble you. A, a list would, you would fall short of enjoying the fullness of a real relationship with God. He doesn't have a relationship with us through lists and rules and formalities. It's by faith. That God, he dwells in you. And now the center of your life is the mercy seat that lives inside of you. He's the very center of your life. And so the tabernacle was very important. As you get into the final piece in, uh, in chapter 27, in verse 20, it's, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. This is your first time on this study. A few weeks ago, we looked at the different furniture and the, one of the pieces of the furniture is the menorah. And the menorah needed oil in it constantly because it was the only source of light in the tabernacle. It says in verse 21, in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord and it shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So why don't we have a tabernacle today? Why don't we keep bringing oil? Why don't we have a big menorah as the permanent symbol of the light? Because Jesus fulfilled it all. And if somebody comes and lays some trip on you and wants you to become Torah followers and and taking the messianic view of Christianity and bringing it to the extreme is you don't keep the feast, you don't keep the law, you're not a real believer, you can tell them, I absolutely keep the feast and I absolutely keep the law. And then they'll come back with, well, you weren't with me at the feast last week or whatever it might be. And you go, listen, they'll say, how do you do that? You say, by faith. Jesus has kept it for me. I'm not bound by all these things. I can enjoy them if I'd like. They're very meaningful and powerful and, and very symbolic. If you want to build a little tabernacle in your backyard, go for it. If you do that, call me. I want to come see it. Maybe we'll do tours in your backyard before the association comes and makes you take it down. But if you want to do that, you're not restricted by it, but it, it doesn't replace Jesus. It would be nice and symbolic. It would be wonderful. It would be kind of cool. You could use it as a hands-on. I mean, if we build it, maybe we could build it for the stage next time and I could just point over here and, and say, look at this, look at this, look at this, and you can really see it than just black and white pictures, but you don't need to. Why? Because you have a personal relationship with everything that the tabernacle pointed to. We don't go back to shadows. We don't go back to typology. Between the person and a picture, you always choose the person, I hope. <laughs> you choose the person. You don't hug the picture when the person's standing right in front of you. You hug the person. A picture's good while there's distance, but when you come back together, no longer do you need the picture because you have the person, you have the reality. And so the oil, oil in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. And so even in the tabernacle, there was a continual source of the Holy Spirit. 
And remember, the menorah was the only place of light. And Jesus said that I am the light. The tabernacle, and it's as we summarize, the tabernacle had one door, one entry point, and Jesus said, I am the door. The tabernacle had one source of light, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The menorah here had one stem. It was like one vine with branches coming out, and Jesus said that I am the vine, and you are the branches. The, the bowls at the top of the menorah on each of the levels of the branches had to be continually filled with oil, oil speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And so you can see time after time, everything's pointing to him. Remember, salvation and peace was always made available at the mercy seat. Not in the box, but on the box. And that's how we meet Jesus today. On the cross, in the tomb, risen again. What a vivid picture the tabernacle is of Jesus. And as Pastor Ed Taylor so clearly stated, don't settle for the picture when you can have what the picture is pointing to, Jesus. Today on Abounding Grace, we heard just a portion of a study in Hebrews chapter 9. It's one part of four on Jesus and the tabernacle. Pastor Ed is back with us. And Ed, can you offer an additional word of encouragement to those who, while they know better, are still struggling with their list of rules? They're unable to keep them, and it's hindering their relationship with Jesus. Well, you know that you have a more legalistic type of relationship with God when a list of rules and regulations are what really concern you. And when you fail, you're quick to beat yourself up. You're quick to condemn yourself. And I would encourage you to enjoy the grace of God. I was thinking of an illustration as I was listening to the question. I was thinking of an illustration, uh, the difference between the guy driving the car and the person in the passenger seat. You know, the person in the passenger seat is really a picture of you and me in our relationship with Jesus. Just get in and relax and let the Lord take you wherever he's taking you. And we know that He, the ultimate goal is you're being conformed into the image of Christ. But ultimately, wherever you are, whatever you're facing— just get in, put on your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Let the Lord take you and let him drive you uh, to the destination that he desires. And be careful not to try to take over and want to do things on your own. And don't beat yourself up so bad. Hey, conviction of sin will bring repentance. That's true. But it won't bring a beating up of yourself, you know, condemning and just being all upset because you failed. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. So stay strong and keep your eyes on the Lord. Meditate in this, you know, think through, go, go to get your Bible right now or pull it up on your app and go to John's gospel chapter 15 and maybe read it in a new version, maybe the new living translation. So you can get a different perspective of abiding in Christ and just resting and relaxing in Him, watching Him do the work in your life. Great stuff. Thanks again, Pastor Ed, for those words of encouragement. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. 
Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. This will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Our number again, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 